Part 1. Yehunala It was April in the city of Peking, the fourth month of the solar year of 1852, the third month of the moon year, the 208th year of the Manchu, the great Qing dynasty. Spring was late, and the northern winds, carrying their load of fine yellow sand from the Gobi Desert, blew cold as winter over the housetops. Sand drifted down into the streets, sand whirled in eddies and filtered through doors and windows. It silted into corners and lay upon tables and chairs and in the crevices of garments. It dried upon the faces of children when they wept and in the wrinkles of old people. In the house of the Manchu bannerman Muyanga in Pewter Lane, the sand was more than usually tiresome for the windows did not fit tightly, and the doors hung loose upon their wooden hinges. On this particular morning, Orchid, his niece and the eldest child of his dead brother, was wakened by the noise of wind and creaking wood. She sat up in the large Chinese bed she shared with her younger sister, and frowned when she saw the sand lying upon the red quilt like tinted snow. In a moment, she crept out softly from the bedclothes so that she might not awaken the sleeper. Under her bare feet, she felt the sand on the floor and sighed. Only yesterday she had swept the house clean, and all was to be swept again as soon as the wind died. She was a handsome girl, this orchid, seeming taller than she was because she was slender and held herself erect. Her features were strong, but not coarse, her nose straight, her eyebrows clear, her mouth well-shaped and not too small. Her great beauty lay in her eyes. They were long and large and exceedingly clear, the black and white pure and separate. Yet such beauty might have been meaningless except for the natural spirit and intelligence that informed her entire being, although she was still very young. She was self-controlled, her strength apparent in the smoothness of her movements and the calm of her manner. In the sand-gray light of the morning, she dressed herself swiftly and noiselessly, and putting aside the blue cotton curtains that served as a door, she went into the main room and from that into the small kitchen adjoining it. Steam rose from the large iron cauldron set into the earthen stove. Luma, so she greeted the serving woman, you are early this morning. Self-control was in the extreme gentleness of her pretty voice, held resolutely low. From behind the stove a cracked voice replied, I could not sleep, young mistress. What shall we do when you leave us? Orchid smiled. The emperor's dowager mother may not choose me. My cousin Sakota is far more beautiful than I am. She looked behind the stove. Lu Ma was crouched there, feeding wisps of dried grass into the fire, making the most of every blade of the scanty fuel. You will be chosen. The old woman's tone was definite and sad, and emerging at this moment from behind the stove, she looked desolate, a small hunchbacked Chinese, her blue cotton garments faded and patched, her bound feet stumps, her face shrunken into a net of brown wrinkles outlined with pale sand. Sand lay on her gray hair and frosted her eyebrows and the edge of her upper lip. This house cannot do without you, she moaned. Second sister will not so much as sow a seam because you have always done everything for her. 
Those two boys, your brothers, wear out a pair of shoes apiece in every moon month. And what of your kinsman, Zhang Lu? Are you not as good as betrothed to him since your childhood? In a manner we are betrothed, Orchid replied in the same pretty voice. She took a basin from the table and an iron ladle from the platform of the stove and dipped the hot water from the cauldron. Then, reaching for a small gray towel that hung on the wall, she put it in the water and, wringing it steaming dry, she wiped her face and neck, her wrists and hands. Her smooth, oval face grew pink with the damp heat, and she looked into the few inches of mirror that hung above the table. There she saw only her extraordinary eyes, lively and dark. She was proud of her eyes, although she never allowed a sign of pride to escape her, when neighbor women spoke of her moth eyebrows and the leaf-shaped eyes beneath them, she seemed not to hear. But she heard.